Welcome to Social Anxiety Solutions, your journey to social confidence. My name is Sebastian van der Schrier, and I'm an ex-social anxiety disorder sufferer. Thanks to energy psychology and the help of some pretty brilliant therapists, I've been able to become anxiety-free and I'm comfortable and relaxed in social situations. Now, on this show, I interview experts, <laughs> um, you know, kind of every month to explore uh, different social anxiety solutions from both Western traditional psychology as well as Eastern energy psychology. We want the best of both worlds. So each week we'll put new tools in, well, each month <laughs> we'll put new tools into your toolkit to enhance your social confidence. Now, today I'm interviewing EFT master Sophia Cayer, and she's a returning guest on the show, and we'll be covering the important topic of depression. Now, I've covered this earlier with other experts, but it's, uh, it's such an important topic that I uh, yeah, asked Sophia if she wanted to, to speak about it, and she had a lot to say, so you know that's why we're having this uh, podcast today. Now, here's a bit about Sophia, in case you don't know her. Sophia is one of the only 29 EFT founding masters, and she's been devoted to a full-time EFT practice and has been teaching EFT since 2000. She was one of the five EFT experts who helped war veterans and family members dealing with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, from which a documentary was created called Operation Emotional Freedom. Sophia credits much of the success that her clients and students enjoy to her innative intuitive ability and the experience she gained through da, 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 more than 12,000 one-on-one sessions. And she's known for finding core issues and working with tough challenges. And she's also one of the people that I frequently consulted with. And she's the person that I refer clients to who come to me who actually have moderate to severe depression because that's not really my expertise. So thank you very much for being back on the show, Sophia. I am honored to be here and always welcome the opportunity. Awesome. <clears throat> All right. Well, let's 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 kick it off with some some basic uh, questions. How how would someone know that they're depressed? Like, what are some symptoms, and are there any differences between men and women? Yeah, there's some basics that we need to be aware of, so that hopefully we catch it before it becomes too severe. Hmm. And there are some things that I want to share today that will help people kind of get a running start um, before it gets too severe to kind of bring things into balance. But um, generally, it's depression and, and um, pain share some biological pathways and transmitters, and about 75% of people with depression suffer from recurring chronic pain. Um, and a lot of times that can be like neck or low back pain are, are probably the most common ones. And it gets into the, the chicken or the egg routine with that because we don't really know for, with certainty what, you know, what starts what, what triggers what. Hmm. Except you know, my firm belief is it's all the, the cumulative impact of everything that we're experiencing. Another thing is either weight gain or loss. 
Um, and the gaining may be because of the, the late night ice cream or frozen dinners because you just don't feel like cooking or you're grazing on comfort or junk food. Um, losing perhaps because all of a sudden food begins to have no interest or just you know loses appeal. Another big one is that if you start finding yourself more cranky than usual or having like a short fuse and the slightest little mishap makes you really grouchy or angry um, and it starts to feel like it's the norm, especially frustration with yourself, hmm. uh, feeling nothing like blah, neutral, numb. Uh, and sometimes it's that is like a form of dissociation, which is frequently not recognized as such. Um, I notice it with clients uh, when we're working because I hear what I call the, the pancake voice. There's no affect. Exactly. I mean, it's just, in, and you, if you listen, you can, I, I hear that difference hmm. as we're working. Hmm. And that's a sign to me that there, it's just like there's a, there's a disconnect because it's a way to avoid the discomfort hmm. what's going on internally. Um, the, the evening cocktail... <laughs> Uh, instead of the evening cocktail, it becomes three or, you know, you find yourself like drinking more. If you drink, if, if not, there may be, you know, it may be back to the food issue again. Um, you know, you're glued to Facebook, gambling, shopping. There's, there's a, you know, there's, you're doing things that are out of the norm or it's, you're finding yourself doing more and more of that. Any kind of uh, anything to excess because, again, it's an avoidance. Um, the other thing is just compulsively glued to uh, electronics. Uh, when you start finding that you're the majority of your social interactions are over the internet as opposed to in person. You're kind of running away from things or people in general. Um, it's another sign that, you know, you're moving in that direction. Again, different forms of dissociation. Decisions all of a sudden are, you know, even simple decisions that should be no brainers start to become a big deal. You know, do I have oatmeal or eggs for breakfast? Do I read or watch TV? Um, because when we're depressed, the cognitive processes are much more difficult. And so the, the things that we wouldn't normally think twice about all of a sudden become a challenge. Another big one is the, the self-care. We're just not, we start neglecting things that we should be doing just you know, even routine hygiene, you know, you don't, you don't care if you comb your hair or you don't care if, you know, you just start sliding out of those things. Mm. Um, but, you know, social avoidance and just the, there's just a lot of symptoms that S sleeping pattern kind of comes to mind. Sleeping pattern is, is yes, another one, another big one. Um, and that, too, is impacted by 
all this great progress we've made with technology, which has served us well in so many ways. Um, but it is more and more studies with universities and research centers, hospitals has proven that all our connections with all the electronics we're dealing with constantly is also interfering. Um, there's also the anxiety and depression. It's sort of like a you know the a three year old, um, and that is that it's <laughs> the three year you know the toddler uh, never stops talking, tells you you're wrong about everything, and wakes you up at three a.m. Mm. So you know it's. <laughs> It's funny, but it's not funny. But if you think about it, right? Like social media being being like a three year old. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And just and well, the anxiety and the depression. You know, it's just that constant inner nagging that goes on. Mm. Uh, the sleep patterns are another big one, and and that can go either way, uh, because sleep for a lot of people becomes the escape. Um, the other thing is that that waking up at 3 a.m. or that interrupted sleep patterns, that not being able to turn off your mind. But there's a lot of contributing factors because, as everybody knows, things, especially over the last 10, 15 years, um, more recently, the last 10 for sure, uh, things are just, we're too busy. There's too much to do. There's not, a, you know, it's just, there's too much stress involved, which also contributes to it. And so differences between um, men and women, women, of course, tend to connect more with their emotions. Um, and they're also, because they're in touch with those feelings, they tend to rehash things more than men do. Uh, they're really great at blaming themselves. Um, and men tend to distract themselves when they're feeling down to ease the discomfort. You know, it could be uh, sports or whatever, <laughs> whatever they choose, but they, they find a distraction. Uh, they're more likely, men are more likely to abuse alcohol and other substances that turning to sports or excessive work, risky behaviors, whether it's, you know, gambling, driving recklessly, unsafe sex, depression is also more likely to show up as anger in men and teenage boys. Um, women are more likely to become depressed in response to a stressful event. Um, they tend to just they experience it on a deeper level. Um, situations like a death in the family, a difficult relationship, losing a job, they respond in a way that prolongs the, their feelings of stress more than men do. And, you know, this is not an absolute science because one thing that I know you know I say all the time is everybody has their own personal experience. So there's always going to be variations. There's nothing cast in stone. Um, men's symptoms of depression may be harder for others to recognize because they're better at masking and stuffing things down typically. Um, and while women are, um, 
hit harder by depression and more vulnerable to it because of their biology. The illness is missed more frequently in men. Um, healthcare professionals and even family members may not pick up on the depressive symptoms in men, so they can end up with severe depression before it's detected. So the other thing is that women are more likely to have um, depression and a coexisting eating disorder. Uh, you know, the, the whole thing about anorexia and bulimia, all those things, you know, it all goes hand in hand. And, you know, the anxiety, anxiety and depression tend to come as a package, not always, but one can lead to the other. Yeah. Um, and it's back to the chicken or the egg thing again. An interesting thing is that more recently, especially in the last six to eight years, what they're finding in research is that men are becoming more and more vulnerable um, because just of the, the new challenges the 21st century has presented. So the, the numbers are growing a lot more rapidly for within the, the man. And I think part of that is just acknowledging that it's even there. Um, the other thing that's really important is that men and women might respond differently to antidepressants. Um, you know, women may be more likely to become depressed in response to, a, um, they, they, there's just, there's, there's differences. And again, this is something that people need to be cautious about. Women have, you know, the, the differences with hormones with women versus men, uh, you know, mood regulating transmitters, all of those things. Men, unfortunately, uh, tend to be more likely to commit, um, suicide. Uh, because of, and a lot of that is due to waiting till it's too late or trying to, they feel um, they're, they're very uncomfortable about facing the issue. And so the tendency within them is, is much more likely to take place. Of course, we're talking about really severe, prolonged situations. Mm -hmm. So that kind of gives you... Some idea. basics. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, <clears throat> well, you you touched upon uh, a few of the, you know, maybe not causes, but at least uh, contributing factors of depression. Uh, what are, in your experience, some of the causes of it? Oh, goodness. Um, I've heard, you know, the, the loss of someone close to you. Uh, the, you know, major events, you know, major loss. Um, a lot of it can be because of life experiences that have you just really down on yourself. Um, you know, having just negative experiences, you know, feelings of rejection, feelings of um, worthlessness. Um, I've even talked to people who have spoken about just total disillusionment with life, you know, feeling that no matter how hard they try, they can't win. Um, another huge factor that is sad but true is I've seen a lot of people in 
environments, living situations where there is truly, in their mind, no way to escape, where it's a very, you know, it's a, it's a very toxic environment. There's not, um, there's no joy there. Right. Right. And, and, and they, they honestly can't come up with a, um, an escape route. Mm. And it's, um, that in itself drives it, makes it worse. And the other thing is that when we are in that state of depression, very similar to anxiety, um, thinking clearly becomes impossible. You know, you can't, it's more difficult to even apply common sense or to be able to map out a way out. Right. Right, because you're so lost in your in your thoughts, and it's all so heavy, and there's the stress, and um, what you described, um, you know, being in a situation where you where you're really stuck and you don't think you can get out of it. For for example, uh, a person might be in uh, a work situation and they think they need to stay in that work situation because they can't get out because if they, they get out, then there's this consequence with their family and if they blah, 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 and it's these self-imposed limitations that then kind of keep them stuck. Is that, is that right, uh, Sophia? That's absolutely. It can be for financial reasons. Hmm. Uh, and talk about everything from kids in college to, um, you know, people who are in situations where they haven't worked in years. Um, you're talking about the job situation. They're miserable in it. The other thing is there is a huge fear, especially in this day and age, that they won't be able to find another job. Hmm. And because of the depression, they're convinced before they start, it, it's not going to happen. Um, and some of these things that we're talking about right now, EFT definitely has benefited a lot of people in, in clearing some of those things. Yeah. But, you know, or at least being able to manage or cope better in the situation. Right. Right. And they might have be able to do mm -hmm. and um, the the absolute sense of worthlessness that you describe um, that doesn't appear all of a sudden out of the blue does it no no it's like some of the things we've talked about in the past there's a cumulative effect you know between life experiences and what we've, we've been through that have a, a very direct impact on and what happens is when there's not relief, when there's not assistance sought um, to help overcome those feelings, it just continues to build on itself. Yeah. And you're like, it, it, it's like a catch-22, but then, you know, a not very good one, to say the least. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, you, you get caught in that loop and... You know, the, the thought even of reaching out uh, for many people doesn't even occur. Hmm. Yeah. Which, you know, which is, uh, um, 
which is very sad when you think about it because you know you're you're stuck but you believe you're worthless and you believe that nothing is going to work and so why reach out because this is not going to work for me anyway and I'm probably too tough of a case and you know what what are common thoughts that are going on for people that kind of stops them from reaching out that keeps them locked in that prison that they're in there's there are just so many reasons and and i'm astonished because i keep you know as long as i've been doing this and incidentally now instead of twelve thousand, i'm over fifteen thousand. but Mm. we won't go with how many sessions i've done but the the point being that um there is there's shame is a huge one um, there's there's embarrassment. It's not you know it's wanting to hide the fact that they're broken or defective, or that's how they feel about themselves, which is never really the case, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, there's they don't want anybody to know. There's a huge stigma attached uh, to for, for in minds of many people. It's very similar to. Uh, what I have witnessed through the years with working with people with post-traumatic stress. Um, They also worry about how, uh, if they are working, how it's going to impact, you know, if it's found out that they're seeking the help of counselors or they're taking medications, as an example, for relief to be able to function. Um, and, and it's a proven fact that there are, unfortunately, corporations out there that find a way to kind of sidestep it and they get overlooked or kept in a lower position and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those are, those are a few of the things that, that happen. Um, and it's, it's that shame is a huge one and embarrassment. You know, those are things that really tend to hold them back. And that fact that they are concerned about careers and family and all kinds of things. You know, what are people going to think of me when they already have a low opinion of themselves, typically? Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, I uh, Speaking of the stigma, I did, some, I did some research on this, you know, using Google, of course, <laughs> uh, about the whole stigma and, you know, how many people are dealing with mental health problems. And I found out that nearly one in two people, 48%, suffered from at least one mental health disorder in their life. And only 40% of these people ever receives treatment which is pretty insane when you think about it. Yes, Um, absolutely. Because, and I think that, you know, I have this thing about statistics. They've always driven me crazy. But, you know, if if it's backed up with solid research, Mm. it's it's a good thing. And I'm glad that there's now gradually more attention being paid to mental health challenges, emotional challenges, because, you know, emotional needs not being met is what's driving most of this. Um, but, you know, the old, one of the things I used to say about someone I worked for a zillion years ago who just loved creating statistics, um, you know, is that if you have one foot in the freezer and one foot in the fire, on the average, you should be comfortable. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so... 
So the, making sure that what people read is based on solid research from reliable sources um, is, is truly important. But what I've always found when you're talking about one out of two and how few get treatment or seek treatment, um, it's, it's incredibly true. And I think that the numbers, even though I've seen, you know, hundreds of millions, uh, in the global crisis, which we haven't talked about or with depression and mental challenges or emotional challenges, um, I think that, that most of them tend to be underestimated mm. because we're dealing again with samplings of people and there's too many that don't speak up and that don't seek right. help. Yep. And there's too many unfortunately that 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 can't. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, speaking of the shame, many people with social anxiety, uh, social anxiety especially, is something that people tend to be ashamed of, and definitely you don't want other people to know that that is, uh, you know, a problem that you're dealing with. And so, you know, reaching out for help. You know, I remember how I. Uh, how I found some information, how I found the self-help community was, was via some, uh, some online test. And the online test was like, uh, hey, so, you know, are you satisfied with your dating life? And uh, option A was like, no, not at all. B was like, uh, could be better. And C was like, uh, I'm totally satisfied. And even though it was not existing, I chose option B because I was just afraid that somehow, some way, somebody would find out that I would pick the true answer that it was non-existent and that I was such a loser. And, you know, there's such a concern and such a worry that people find out that, that you have this problem. And, and so reaching out is, is, is very scary. So I think that these numbers are indeed skewed, especially for, for social anxiety, which is, you know, they say one in eight people in the U.S. Well, it's definitely a lot higher in my experience. And, uh, well, yeah. I'm sorry. In my, in my experience as well, and uh, the, I think that a perfect example uh, of that, and it was interesting, there was a at a workshop or a training that I was giving, uh, one of the topics that someone brought up during Q and A was about um, how much, you know, how many. What did I think the percentages were based on uh, about um, molestation or sexual abuse? You know, how frequently was it happening? Uh, and so I quoted the most recent statistics at the time, which I think were at that point in time were like roughly 33%. Um, and I s said that, but in my experience, hmm. <laughs> I found that number to be much higher. Hmm. Um, and this individual was just like incensed. Yeah. The, the numbers were just crazy. And I think that the problem was this was probably someone who had experienced it and was afraid to seek help. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when people do decide to, um, you know, reach, reach out and, uh, for help, like um, what, what might they expect? 
Well, it depends, I guess, on where they reach Go. out. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, well, well, what what would your advice be for someone? Actually, let let let's frame this a bit differently, okay? So there is, uh, in my experience, there is you have social anxiety, and you might have some mild depression as a result of the problems that that causes, and the isolation that you have, and the and and then there is uh, you know mild to severe depression, like you know uh, with with some uh, some more of the severe symptoms that you described earlier on. So when someone is experiencing the more severe type of depression, what would be your your advice for them? Okay. So this is the first stop should always be with the primary care physician. And one of the reasons that I say that is that, um, if you'll indulge me here, there is a lot of nutritional uh, impact that is uh, needs to get checked out. And there are some very specific vitamins and uh, minerals that can actually intensify the challenge and so there's actually a list this is one of the reasons I always ask people about their diet um, when they when we start working together hmm. and checking on that those aspects that bear with me one second here we go lost my <laughs> I'd never be able to recall this instantly. Uh, but the, the it's been the other thing that's really important to know is that when this balance is reached, uh, or when these vitamins, these minerals are incorporated at the proper levels, antidepressants function have been proven to have a better result. Okay, so hopefully you, you you create this before you reach that point of needing something like that, an anti-anxiety or an antidepressant. Um, but and I can, if anybody wants to write to me, I can send them more information or, or links about some of these things. Um, a huge one is uh, omega three to six fatty acids. Um, there is you know the health guru. Uh, a lot of people turn to think that fish and seafood is a great way to go. Uh, working with alternatives like avocados and a bunch of other things that I won't go into because I don't think we're going to have the time. Um, it's Depending on fish is not the smartest thing anymore because of industrial pollution and the way that things are being treated in that area. But there are a lot of things you can do nutritionally. Um, and a huge one, which is great brain food as well as it helps out with metabolism and everything else is coconut oil. But before going into all of that, just to create the hit list here, um, vitamin D is another huge one. Um, the, and the, the deficiency, which is rampant right now, 
um, is also, it's been linked to everything from depression to dementia and autism. Um, so a really key ingredient and way too many of us don't get enough sun, which is a great source, but it's easy enough to correct that. Magnesium is another huge one. Uh, that's actually been referred to as a stress antidote. Um, vitamin B complex, um, folate is, uh, another really key one. It has been proven that, um, when there's a low level of folate, there's only, there's like a 7% response to antidepressants. And those that have a high level of folate, the success rate increases to 44%. Wow. So that's why I'm saying these things are really important. Another is checking, having amino acids checked, iron, um, zinc. And I know there's a couple of others here, iodine and selenium. These are, you know, you can, some of this can be done through nutritionally through the food you eat. Um, when you go that direction, it's important to remember, however, that is back as long ago as the mid-1930s, the federal government put out a statement saying that due to, I'm talking about the U.S., and mm -hmm. I'm sure this, but I'm sure this is probably planetarily true at this point in time, our soils have been so depleted that we're not getting the nutrition from our foods that we think we are. And so incorporating some supplements to help bring these things into balance is, is really important. Mm. So just how that's check those things out um, because they are very, very relevant to all of this. Mm. That can also, when those things are out of balance, by the way, it can also be contributing big time to the anxiety and the depression. Yeah. So if, you know, be, before you, you know, if, if you start watching for the signs and symptoms, you know, first thing is that nutritional aspect for sure. Mm. Because even if you're in an uncomfortable environment, whether it's work or home or something else in your life that's creating a challenge, um, you can at least have that be part of the strategy to help you start feeling better. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the things I'll share with you is there's a, there was a gentleman that I worked with that really had, he had the combination of the anxiety and the depression. Okay. And when I went through the food thing with him, I was finding out a, he wasn't eating anything for breakfast. Um, typically a Big Mac and fries for lunch. I mean, and his, his diet was just horrible. So he was, <laughs> he was determined enough to make the shift that, um, he started cause you know, the first excuse, I don't have time in the morning. I can't, okay. How about instant oatmeal? How about a boiled egg while you take, you know, boil an egg while you take a shower, blah, blah, whatever. So he, he started doing it. He eliminated the Big Mac and started doing helpful things at lunch and within a couple of weeks' time, 
just doing that much, he began to see improvement in his mood, his physical, physically what he was experiencing, his energy levels. You know, everything started to, to shift. Hmm. A gradual process, and it's something that has to be done. And so that's another hugely important piece to this is clean up your diet. Yeah. And and for people dealing with depression and anxiety, that can be a tough thing because we're going to gravitate to comfort food or the late night ice cream or whatever our, you know, whatever poison we pick, you yeah. know. And, and so, you know, it's, it's a gradual process because we do need to do some things to comfort ourselves. Um, but if you just start gradually introducing those things and build on it, um, it, it can make a huge, huge difference, but it's absolutely. Yeah. You don't need to go cold Turkey on all your ice cream and, uh, eat completely raw <laughs> from one day to the other. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Let's, let's create a new problem, you know, right, right, right. <laughs> a new thing to get depressed and anxious about, you right. know, I'm not getting, not getting this right either. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, it's in that, and that's a huge thing. It's, it's trying to be forgiving, kind, and gentle with yourself mm. always, um, which, is, which is difficult to do. And that's why, again, it's so important to reach out for help. And another reason is that it is proven um, with this global crisis we're already facing uh, that when we let these things go, the more that they remain untreated, um, it's having a huge impact on our overall health and well-being, our longevity even. Mm. And they're saying that uh, related to this global crisis, that by 2020, uh, among other people, the World Health Organization has said that uh, it, depression will be the leading cause of, you know, disease. Hmm. Um, there was a psychiatrist up in Canada, an article that I read of hers that, you know, she said that, uh, well, excuse me, World Health Organization said it would be the second. Hmm. The psychiatrist in Canada, who's done a lot of research with this, said that in developing countries, including Canada, uh, that it would become first. So, you know, it impacts our physical health because everything just gets out of, out of balance. Yep. Yep. And then uh, to go a little bit back to uh, some of the causes, like I'm uh, currently living in uh, Bali, Indonesia, and I lived in uh, Thailand before and Philippines before. And, uh <sighs> You know, having lived in the Netherlands as well and visiting there and, uh, you know, going going to uh, other first world countries, there's there's definitely a lot of cultural pressures and beliefs that that must contribute to depression and anxiety. Because when I'm, uh, you know, being in these kinds of countries, um, I don't get the sense... And, you know, this is, of course, not scientific, but, you know, if you're in it, 
uh, you do have an experience of it. There is for sure not as high a level of anxiety uh, and depression in these kinds of countries. And when you look at what the people have, they have not much, but they're very happy and they're always playing. And you know, if you look at how they're raised and what is important, you know, my my daughter. Um, you know, she's growing up in the Philippines, so her mom is mostly the one who's making the decisions. And, you know, I, coming from the Netherlands, have a totally different idea about what is important. It's like, oh, she needs to talk at this, this moment, you know, this, uh, this soon she needs to talk and, you know, is she developmentally here already and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, when I hear my sister who just has a baby, it's like, oh, yeah, we go out and we, it's fun. We compare how far our kids are developed and blah, blah, blah. But it's totally different in the Philippines because it's like, oh, you know, she's just, yeah, this is her childhood. We just want her to be happy and she can pretty much do whatever. And, you know, when, when we're out, she's just having fun and she's free and she's joyful whereas uh, when I get to the Netherlands a lot of two or three year olds are like little mini adults very well behaved and you know so there's 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 a lot to say about that and there's a lot about you know when you're uh, when you have these pressures about, oh, I need to be this way, I need to be that way, I need to have uh, this kind of degree in order to be accepted, I need to be married or I need to be in a relationship and there's uh, you know, cultural pressures in different countries like, oh, if, I, if, if I'm this age and I still don't have a husband, then that, you know, so many things that can really contribute to it as well. Yeah, like early on when we spoke about or the, the levels of stress and the pressure, you know, the fast pace of things in many parts of the world, what you just said speaks, speaks volumes to that. There's not only the huge cultural differences, but uh, in all the, the places on the globe where, you know, we think we're making such great progress, hmm. we're, just, we're, we're adding to that, um, you know, so that it just generates more stress, even in children, which is a scary phenomenon I've seen a lot of in the last several years. Um, and it, it adds, okay, why wouldn't we have anxiety? Why wouldn't we start feeling depressed? Because it's all that comparative garbage. Right. And the, the and I'm, I'm sorry, with all due respect to, <laughs> what everybody's doing, hmm. but there's a loss. There's a, there's a huge loss about the sense of self and, and who we are, as opposed to how we measure up against this, this, or this, and how'd you do with this test, and why didn't you? You know, it's you know. I think it was Einstein who said that uh, the way we handle education, it's a wonder that we come out sane, hmm. you know, or. Or have any creativity left within us? Right. You know that that joyfulness, that playfulness, that feeling okay with who we are. Right. Uh, gets constantly squashed by the exposure we have to all those things. Be- because a lot of the programming is, um, you know, who it is that I am is determined by you know my social status, how well educated I am, how attractive I am, how you know good I am socially, uh, how outgoing, you know, all these kinds of standards, uh, yep. and they kind of make you lose yourself if you try to live up to that. Uh, and it's it's challenging. Like everyone deals with this because you're right in the middle of it. It's constant programming. 
but uh, it's important yeah. to be aware of. It, it definitely, it definitely is. Hmm. And then, Sophia, bringing it back to what your advice would be in order for people to overcome it. So, one, go to see your uh, natural uh, or, or your like uh, your healthcare provider. Two, look at your diet, and then you know where does it, where it, does EFT and everything come into the picture? <laughs> EFT comes in throughout it all mm. uh, because you have uh, you have people who are afraid to even go to their primary care physician or mm. to a physician at all um, because they're afraid of what they might learn. Right, right. By the way, uh, for people listening to this, is the first episode. EFT is a uh, uh, for emotional freedom techniques. It's a psychological form of acupuncture. But instead of using needles, you tap with the tips of your fingers on specific acupressure points in the body. It looks a bit silly, but it's very effective for you know releasing stress, negative emotions, and kind of bringing yourself back into balance. Uh, EFT can help um, throughout this whole process. It's a, it's a great support. The other reason it's a great thing to get started with early on um, is that there is an element of self-empowerment that comes with it. Um, meaning that once you've done a few sessions, you can begin <clears throat> to do a lot of work on your own. Um, and in the beginning, because of the way you're feeling, you may not be able to do it in what you feel. Here we go, measuring again in the what you feel is proper, the proper way. Um, and I tell people to just get that out of their heads, because if you simply even focus on what you're feeling and tap certain points, you can experience some relief, mm. even if you don't say a word. And, you know, the words can be important when you're getting to the deeper stuff, but that's when you definitely need to be working with someone who's experienced who can offer you that guidance and support that you that you need. So, yeah, um, EFT all the way through. Um, and based on what you learn, you know, to – the other thing, good thing to do is consider consulting a counselor, um, a psychologist, or whatever if you feel the need – and that is where the decision or determination needs to be made when it comes to whether um, medication is a smart move, at what point in time it's a smart move. Um, definitely something I'm not offering any kind of uh, medical advice here, but I'm telling you that that is a really smart thing to do. Uh, but blending with that, even if you're working, another important thing is whether it's a counselor, a psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever you choose to do, it's important to understand that EFT um, will enhance the results of what happens there. It doesn't interfere. It blends well. Um, it can also be beneficial in how your body is assimilating the medication should you choose to go on the medication. So those are that's another important key to clean up your diet. We talked about, but that make sure that you are absolutely getting what you need nutritionally, especially those vitamins and minerals that I mentioned to you. Those elements in your diet. 
Um, please, whatever you do, limit your exposure to electronics. And if it's at all possible, consider a, a, a techno detox. Hmm. <laughs> um, there's the impact that this is having on people is outrageous. Um, I've written a couple of articles recently, and there's actually research, reliable research with reliable sources that has absolutely proven that your your brain on Minecraft, as an example, popular kids game, um, tests like a mine on drugs. Mm. Okay, and so it it becomes like like an addiction, but it also contributes to uh, irritability crankiness in kids, even temper tantrums, disruptive behavior. Um, there's been, you know, and there's a lot of misdiagnosis or that goes on because of that. Um, but I've worked with children and adults, and I'm going to give you an example of an adult I worked with that had addictive challenges. Um, there, what it does to our systems, we don't really recognize. And it does contribute to anxiety, and depression. Uh, the electromagnetic fields or EMFs are, uh, there's a lot of research out there. We could actually talk for an hour just about what what's going on and the impact that the technology is having and why the importance of using it wisely and limiting it. Mm. Um, with, in kids, and I'm talking about really young kids into, you know, all through developmental years, an important fact is that there's a, it's been proven that our, our brains are still developing uh, at ages like, you know, there, some researchers are saying that uh, it's somewhere between 25 and 30, there are new um research studies that have been done that's and they are finding that possibly even into 40 or later there's still development going on and so what happens is we're more vulnerable it leaves us more vulnerable and it also impacts our ability to function to interact with other people um, it's interfering with our communication skills and it goes on and on. But I've seen, um, let's just an example with uh, adults. I found out that somebody who had a multitude of issues that one of the things was searching for the silver bullet for their condition, which actually became a new addiction, which meant a minimum of almost losing their job because they got caught working on stuff at work in the computer that had nothing to do with their job. Hmm. Um, but that, uh, by cutting that back from eight to 11 hours a day to two hours a day, within less than a month, some of the other really bad habits they were able to let go of. Mm. 
So with, with kids, the disruptions uh, and being able to avoid going on medications, because I had a lot of people who don't want to put their kids on, or even, and even some of the kids, especially teenagers, don't want to take uh, medications for ADHD or whatever else. Uh, dyslexia is another one. But they have found if, in working with EFT, incorporating EFT into the mix, and by minimizing the time that's spent fiddling with the phone, the iPad, the computer, all the electronic gadgets that surround us constantly, um, that they start um, developing better habits. Their um, moods improve. Um, I actually got an email just the other night from um, a client whose son was, had a horrible anger issue. And she was overjoyed because he's now reached a point where he could sit down and have a calm, reasonable conversation. Mm. So the, the impacts are, it has health impacts on every level. So, yes, sometimes we don't have a choice uh, because of our work or this or that. But if we make sure that we, if nothing else, take frequent breaks. I actually set a timer. Um, because it's easy for me to get lost in what I'm doing, especially if I'm writing or whatever in the computer. So reverting to a pen and pad <laughs> or at least getting up and taking a break, even if it's three minutes, go outside, get some fresh air, walk around, do some stretches. Yeah. Um, but doing what you can to minimize it. <laughs> Yep. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm behind the computer quite a bit as well. And I, I know that if I'm sitting behind it for a long, a long period of time, it just zaps my energy. I just feel like, oh, I need to have a break. I need to get away from this for a while. And, you know, you're definitely not the first person uh, saying this. And I've heard it on other podcasts as well. Uh, one of the things that you can do, uh, which is just a little simple thingy is like make sure that when you go to bed that your phone is on flight mode and you know not next to your bed because uh, you know if you have the Wi-Fi signal on and there are all sorts of little things you can do yeah yes there is yes and get rid of the TV in the bedroom or mm. turn it off <laughs> right a lot of people and I have this going on with several I've seen this many many times. Well, I can't sleep, so I get up and I turn on the television, or I get up when I work on the computer, and all that does is just, you know, make it worse. Right, right. Um, there is actually, there's a homeopathic spray um, just that I use even, and there are things like, out that, like that available out there that help with uh, detoxing. You know, it's actually, I think it's called an EMF detox or something like that. But there is, uh, there are simple things you can do because sometimes, you know, we, we've just been trained and, and, and it's been a huge blessing, you yeah. know, for, for, and for millions of people. Yeah. But it's, um, it's, you know, all things, uh, <laughs> In in balance, you know, or all things in moderation. Right, right, right. Um, so so we've spoken uh, about a, a lot of the contributing factors and a lot of the things that we can do um, to you know resolve that depression and uh, what kind of steps you you can take. 
Um, you're the de- depression expert, so I just want to ask you <laughs> this. So this this is my understanding, and uh, my understanding is quite limited because I'm a social anxiety expert and not a depression expert. So um, my understanding is that the biggest problem is the worthlessness feelings and you know the the stuff from childhood and uh, the repetitive experiences and and so on and all the other things that we uh, have spoken of you know the the EMFs the diet uh while those might in certain situations be the single cause in most other situations, as I understand it, there are contributing factors and things that kind of uh, keep the depression in place. But isn't it the case that the biggest problem itself is is the worthlessness and the feeling bad about yourself and whatever it is that comes from the repetitive negative experiences from childhood and the traumas and that kind of stuff? Um, yes, there's in that, which also creates a sense of hopelessness. Hmm. I mean, there's there's a lot of those definitely are huge contributing factors. Mm. Um, and another great thing that EFT can help us get through, um, you know, just taking it one step at a time and acknowledging that, letting go of that fear, the, all the things that hold you back. Um, but remembering that those, all those contributing factors, those experiences, whether they were childhood or adulthood, like, um, you know, for, for me, last year was really challenging because I lost four family members. Bam, 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 bam. Wow. Very, um, only one that um, was expected. So, you know, there's, um, there's, there's so many different reasons, but remembering that there are the other things that working through those things are critically important. Um, and there has to be great respect involved because uh, people feel so fragile at that point. But, but knowing that the combination, there's, there's a whole ton of other things that we could talk about that we can do to help minimize, to help be able to cope better as we gradually improve and start gaining a sense of it's okay to enjoy life and to relax. Yeah. Um, you know, not, not feeling safe or feeling abandoned or other huge contributing factors Hmm. um but it's it's just it's taking all the pieces of the puzzle and and working through it and and being remembering that it is a process that it's not um something that is going to get taken care of overnight yeah you're not going to really cure or clear a uh a severe depression in a in a single session no Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, well, thank you for this. I I just want to share with the people uh, a, a book that I think uh, will be will be help helpful, and that's uh, uh, learned optimism by help me out here. Do you know the book? What's his name again? Yeah. Learned optimism. 
I will look it up. Um, <clears throat> yeah, by Martin Seligman. Um, it's a real good book. That's that's uh, helpful in uh, you know creating an optimistic attitude. And there's a lot. It's it's based on lots of science, and it. Uh, um, it's it's you know it's it's not just EFT that's that's going to help you, um, you know there like we've discussed there are many many things and I've I've found this book to to be something helpful that I've recommended to some of my clients and uh, they reported that it was uh, of of great help. So um, any uh, any wise departing words, uh, Sophia? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know about wise departing words. There's, I could talk about this for another, <laughs> the rest of the day. <laughs> I said jokingly to you in an email, but um, it's. I think that it's it's pretty much what I was saying to you. Yes, there are, and there are other things I wish we had time to cover that you can do yourself. I think that reading um, this book that you recommended and reading other books. Um, are great things to do. My recommendation or suggestion is that you consider doing it with a book that is a paper as opposed to on a Kindle or any other electronic device um, because that's another thing that has um, proven our, our retention is greater when it's paper. Um, it helps us with our memory, believe it or not. Uh, and, you know, just that, that taking that one step at a time, most importantly, reaching out for help, even if it needs to be small bites at a time. Um, you know, if you don't have anybody that you feel that you can talk to, um, you know, that, that may, t that too may be a tapable issue, <laughs> but there is, if you can sometimes just being able to say it out loud yeah. and you may start with, with yourself, you know, that it's, that it's really okay. Um, because it just impacts every aspect of your, of your life, you know, your, your health and well being. So it's, it's not, you're not alone in this, um, and you absolutely deserve to reach that that point where life feels okay. Um, the other thing I, I just I really want to add is that I've actually worked with people who have no idea what it would feel like to have peace within or to experience joy. And what I would say to those people is that there is even hope for you, even though there may be a, a fear or a reluctance um, to even considering the possibility. I, I actually want to touch upon that. Thanks for bringing that up, Sophia. Like, um, <clears throat> when you've never experienced the the power of tapping and you just hear about this and it's like oh yeah that sounds like like it's it's so far out of your reality the profound shifts that you can experience especially 
working with an expert like it's it's you know that's how it's been for me and how it's uh, you know for clients that uh, that we both work with it is it's just far outside of your reality which makes it kind of difficult for us to explain on uh, a podcast what it does but you know just about any person that uh, that that you work with for a session has something changes there is definitely something that's going to change and it's going to be profound you know you're going to feel something different that you haven't felt something is going to shift you know and it's going to be you're going to have a different perspective you're going to have a different feeling and you're going to feel more empowered you're going to sense relief uh you know sophia what else can you say <laughs> you know there, there's you know it's it's difficult to to sell something that is actually this great uh, to to someone who's never experienced it, because it, it can easily come across as oh yeah, that's that's the next magical thing, but there's actually something really magical about it. Well, there there is magic about it because um, it it addresses that emotional component that that pain like nothing else that I have found. Mm. Uh, um, and. You know, I, I mentioned the for those who have, have never experienced joy uh, and don't know what it feel like, which can generate another reluctance um, and also create another challenge as you go through it, which is the fear of change. You know, there's a there's a fear. Um, that's something else we didn't get a chance to talk about, but uh, cherophobia, um, the which is literally a fear of of happiness. Mm. Uh, the other thing that comes up is an identity crisis. You know, yeah. I've been like this for 30 years or 50 years or however long it is. Um, I, I wouldn't know how to act. I wouldn't know who I'd be. Um, so n- knowing that those things too can take place and it can be, it doesn't have to be a hugely painful experience. And that I think is another huge thing with, uh, EFT is people understanding, um, that while there may be some, um, bumps in the road just because of connecting with emotions that may have been stuffed, um, that it is a very gentle process and it's not necessary to recant in detail, heavy duty stories. Right. Yes. And, and, and how people experience it is gentle. So, you know, you come in with this big problem and you share this big problem and you start doing the tapping and you, you gain relief on this big problem that you have. And, you know, it's, it's such a difference from, you know, you, you have a negative thought and you change your thought and now, oh, yeah, you have a better cognitive understanding and, yeah, I, I see that I shouldn't be so scared of that or, yeah, I see that I was looking at uh, in a kind of a gloomy way versus having an emotional shift in your body where that ha- heavy stuff in your chest has been lifted and you feel lighter and you are more energized and that understanding cognitively doesn't come from you know purposely changing your thought but it just comes naturally from just a shift in your energy body it's it's something completely different which uh which i think is is very important to emphasize uh for people listening to this yeah 
and I, I agree wholeheartedly. This is one of the reasons, like, uh, the, the work in particular with uh, veterans. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many of them who won't seek help because they don't, uh, they're not supposed to share what went on. Okay. It's it has you know it's top secret or whatever else, but the great thing is that they don't have to tell the whole story. They don't have to. They can go with what they are feeling, and we can go from there. Um, and another thing is that the anxiety about doing this work to begin with that typically comes up uh, more more frequently than you would think is that that's always a good starting point. And a question I always ask is finding out if somebody is, you know, if there's anticipation, there's anxiety about getting into it because of what they may experience or because of what they may say or, or anything else. So it can help make that gentle process of getting started much easier for them. It's not, you know, we're not going to be, you're not going to be thrown into the fire. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's just one step at a time as it feels right to that individual. Yeah. Yeah. And things get revealed that they feel uncomfortable about. Okay, and uh, yeah, maybe uh, if you're listening to this, you might even want to check out that documentary. Um, I it is called, and I have it here written down. It's called Op- Operation Emotional Freedom. When you type that into Google, I'm sure you can find it. And if you type in, if you you know, if you want something totally free, because I think this is a paid documentary, just go to YouTube and type in uh, EFT War Veterans, and that's just a, a short snippet but uh, that's that's how i found eft like i don't know a decade ago and just seeing that made me like oh wow this is for real this is not just something that people talk about there's actually something going on here that is that is very special and uh you know i, I hope that we're communicating uh how special it indeed is and uh you know <clears throat> Sophia, thank you very much. Where can uh, people find out more about you? you know, like your website, your details, and so on. They can easily find me just by going to sophiakayer.com, which is S-O-P-H-I-A-C-A-Y-E-R.com. Um, they can actually even find the uh, a link for the documentary you were talking about on the website as well. Um, and they can email me if they'd like to me to share some of what we didn't get to share as well as some links that they might find beneficial. Uh, they can email me simply at sophiacare at gmail.com. Brilliant. And, uh, you know, when you're listening to this, we've discussed so many things and so many resources. I'm going to re-listen to this interview and, uh, you know, find as many links and resources for you, which I'll which I'll uh, add to the show notes page, and that will be socialanxietysolutions.com forward slash Sophia Depression. All right. Sophia, thank you very much for sharing. My absolute pleasure. I am honored to be here, as always. Awesome.